Hello folks, welcome back to the Whoop Podcast, where we sit down with top performers. I'm your host, Will Ahmed, founder and CEO of Whoop, and we are on a mission to unlock human performance. This week, Whoop VP of Performance Science, Kristen Holmes, is joined by Dr. Allison Brager. She's a neurobiologist with expertise in sleep and circadian rhythms who works to examine the mind and body's resilience to extreme environmental stress. Allison serves as a member of the Whoop Scientific Advisory Council and wrote a popular science book entitled Meathead, Unraveling the Athletic Brain. The book ties the fields of exercise physiology and neuroscience with her experience as an elite athlete in track and field and CrossFit. As World Sleep Day is coming up this Friday, March 17th, we figured there would be no one better to offer up some sleep tips than Allison. Kristen and Allison discuss sleep becoming part of the core three pillars of a healthy lifestyle, advancements in sleep technology, understanding what sleep tech and trends are working, how to create the optimal sleep environment, tips on how to improve sleep, the emergence of sleep tourism. To make sure you're ready for World Sleep Day, check out our new blue light blocking glasses, our new Whoop sleep mask, and apparel. And also, if you're new to Whoop, you can use the code WILL when you're checking out to get a $60 credit on Whoop accessories. If you're not aware, we also have new membership pricing, $239 for an annual membership, the Whoop straps included. That's our best pricing ever. Uh, You want to see a question of yours answered on the podcast, email us, podcast.whoop.com. Call us, 508-443-4952. Here are Kristen Holmes and Dr. Allison Brager. Dr. Allison Brager is a neurobiologist with expertise in sleep and circadian rhythms who works to examine the mind and body's resilience to extreme environmental stress. Dr. Brager has written Military Training Doctrine on Holistic Health and co-authored the first edition of the NC2A Student Athlete Mental Health Handbook. As a former student athlete and collegiate coach, I can tell you from first experience that this handbook book was probably the most important thing to happen in the NCA in terms of forming their thinking on sleep and mental health. Allison, thank you for your contribution there. It's just so massive. Um, how long? Yeah, ago did we, we could talk about handbook? it too. I would, I would love to honestly. Like I, you know, it's it's an area. It, you know, I've, I've heard some statistics thrown around, and you know, in you know, one that relates to sleep that across NC two A population with student athletes, thirty five percent of the mental health issues are related to sleep. Is that, is that kind of what you found? Yeah. I I heard that stat. It was just mind blowing to me. Well, it actually came about in, um, so we wrote the handbook in 2015. It came about after in 2013, the NCAA had the most suicides on record in the history, um, across all division one, two, and three institutions. Um, and, and, doing investigations on what was a a contributing factor, stress and poor sleep schedules kept reappearing. Um, So they actually reached out to the Sleep Research Society. uh, And since uh, myself and a few others had just started going down this road of looking at sleep and athletes, because it really hadn't been done before, uh, we contributed to the first manual. Um, But the committee is still around. I actually am going to uh, the NC2A headquarters in a few weeks for our quarterly board meeting. Um, so we're hoping to come out with another edition of the handbook, you know, after this meeting. Uh, but yeah, as the statistics show right now, sleep is a huge 
primary complaint of student athletes, and then it gets even worse uh, if you're a female athlete. So if you look at male and female athletes, it's even worse. And then it's even worse um, mental health outcomes and sleep outcomes if you're um, if you're a minority. So it's uh, it's quite interesting. Wow. Yeah, I think there is. Uh, I know we have a lot of student athletes on the Woot platform, which is really exciting. I mean, we have entire athletic departments who have invested in um, empowering their their student athletes with with it, you know this kind of information. Um, you know, and I think I think for a lot of student athletes, you know, we have a, a study going on right now um, at at UCLA, and we just published the sleep characteristics, and you know, it's looking at we have two hundred seventy athletes, um, student athletes in that study. And, um, you know, average sleep is, is about six and a half hours. It is not enough, you know, and, and, and we're obviously they're part of part two of the study is now we're working on interventions to try to extend sleep and, um, you know, really tracking sleep consistency and, um, and providing some breathing interventions. So hopefully we kind of get them on the right side of, of, of time in bed, but, you know, this is a, it's a massive, uh, it's a massive issue. And I, and I think there needs to be not to get too much into policy, but, you know, as someone who spent a lot of time on college campuses, you know, having, you know, libraries open 24 seven, um, you know, bright yeah. lights, you know, cookies and Coke at 11 PM, you know, there's just so many things wrong with the college culture that just fly in the face of, of everything that, um, I think we know is, is critical for, you know, short and long-term kind of performance and health. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, you have to keep shouting, you know, from the rooftops. Yeah, well, I will say that UCLA is sort of leading the charge in these efforts. Mm -hmm. um, so the chancellor of UCLA is a famous circadian biologist, Dr. Jane Block. Um, and so we're actually working between the Big Ten and the Big 12 merge to develop a white paper. So it's a white paper we've been working on now ever since uh, the merge came about. Um, and it's just written by experts in the sleep and circadian field. And it's intended for coaches and staff to recognize that, hey, while you might be making this investment from a monetary standpoint, think about the consequences on not just on the field performance, but these students' grades too. Um, so, you know, it sort of gives like a, a plan of action in terms of things they can do to mitigate this. Um, I did a little bit of this work during the football season with Michigan State and their basketball team when they went to uh, the University of Washington for games. Uh, but I will say that's awesome you're working with UCLA because uh, Dr. Block and um, the athletic department recognize this is going to be a, a, a challenge that's ever increasing with the merge. Yeah. Yeah. They've been, uh, they've been wonderful. Uh, you know, the study has been going on for gosh, a year and a half now, and we just, we're just adding the football team and yeah, there's a lot of enthusiasm around it uh, and, you know, some really interesting findings. So yeah, excited kind of for this part two to see if our interventions you know, really work. No, I'm excited for you too. I would love to see. Um, so years ago, we did a longitudinal um, wrist actigraphy assessment in Towson University's football team, mm -hmm. like preseason, during season and postseason. But, you know, this is using the graveyard devices. So like, you know, the clinical sleep watches that just simply mm -hmm. look at activity patterns, not to say they're not clinically relevant. It's just it it's it's not, has not no <laughs> aspect of biometrics, um, right. and so I'd be curious to see how close the uh, parameters are to. Um, but what, obviously, what you have is way more comprehensive. 
Yeah, I mean, it will be good. We also uh, got permission to, to to look at GPA as well. So we're trying to you know see if we can replicate um, cool. some of the findings from Andrew Phillips' paper in, in 2017 in sleep. Nature that saw a relationship between GPA and um, sleep consistency. So or he, his metric is he used a sleep regularity metric, but really excited um, to, to kind of see what we find and most importantly to see if we can get those get those kids spend more time in bed um, and get more quality sleep. Exactly. Um, so I've got some sleep stats for you, Allison. Um, from Whoop members in 2022. Um, so for folks who are on the platform, uh, you get an option of kind of putting in if you want to peak, perform, or get by. And, you know, that's based uh-huh. on, you know, Whoop's going to tell you how much time you need to spend in bed. That's your sleep need. Um, not a random number generator, folks. Uh, and I can we can talk a little bit about the research that kind of in a backhanded way proved that sleep need is, is not random. But um, your sleep need you, you can kind of, basically, if you want to meet 100% of that sleep need, you're peaking. If you want to meet 85% of that sleep need, you're performing. If you want to meet 70% of that sleep need, you're getting by. So of the folks um, on the platform, 16.5% of the year, our members are spent peaking. 25.4% of the okay. year, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're kind of performing. And 30.3% of the year, they are getting by. And we... Uh-huh. Then we have another metric, not enough, and twenty seven point eight percent are not getting enough sleep over the course of the year. So, what do you make of those numbers? Well, I would. I mean, that's just human mindset, though, right? Is like we each have an invincibility complex that that's somebody else's problem. That's not my problem. So, I think I think that's part of it, right there. Uh, but I will say, I don't think all hope is lost because I would put money that most people on the platform already have better sleep habits than the general population. Um, totally. You know, I think a lot of times when, when we work, you know, you and I work at with elite athletes and elite military, we forget what general population is like. And then especially when yeah. you go in the clinical world, uh, you definitely forget just how unhealthy Americans can be. It's not until you, uh, we recently did like a large scale epidemiological study for the army. And like, even in the conventional army on the reserve and guard side, you see like how unhealthy they are compared to the conventional army or the special forces, like who I work for. So um, I don't think all hope is lost. I think, uh, I mean, Obviously, though, you guys do the right things, set up those sleep challenge campaigns, you know, connecting the community with professional athletes and uh, hearing success stories about people changing their lives by changing their sleep habits. So I think next year, maybe there'll be a a positive delta. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there definitely it does seem that it's kind of we're going through these like, you know, there's like phases of change, change, you know, where you kind of like recognize there's a problem and you're like, all right, I need to kind of change it. And I, I think we're kind of, I think folks have recognized that sleep is important. I think people believe that, you know, I think there's enough evidence out there. There's been enough conversations with, you know, folks like Dr. Russell Foster and Matthew Walker and yourself and Dr. Huberman. I mean, people are, you know, really screaming from the rooftops that sleep is the foundation of human health and performance. And, whatever we try to layer on top of that is going to be inefficient if we don't have this solid foundation. So I feel like that's out there, but sleep can be hard for a lot of folks. And, you know, Allison, you've worked in, you know, the most extreme environments, um, you know, with military operators and and I I would say professional athletes at times, including athletes, you know, really have to deal with a lot of pressure and a lot of, you know, travel and, 
you know, eating at weird times that, you know, throws off their circadian rhythm and there's all sorts of barriers, I think. Um, so what are some of the learnings kind of from those environments, these high stakes, high stress environments that we can apply to just the regular folks in terms of inspiring, you know, kind of the behavior change and, and, you know, what, what is like, if there's a, just a bit of a framework that people can grasp onto, what, what would you say it is? Uh, I would say number one, it's having, no matter the circumstance, having a sleep friendly environment and a bedtime routine. And you might have to get as creative as possible with this. Um, a few years ago, we went um, with uh, a high tier unit to their overseas deployment to basically set up their environment in a way where they could actually get some decent sleep. And they were all, they were all armed with a, a sleep kit pretty much too. So they had an eye mask, they had earplugs. Uh, we even invested in like little portable sound machines uh, because when you're trying to sleep next to the flight path, which I can tell you is not fun. I, I had that unfortunate circumstance when I was deployed. It's, you know, you're definitely going to need, need a noise machine or earplugs. Um, mm. We took out their uh, incandescent light bulbs and replaced them with red light or, um, you know, went to the uh, the commissary and bought some uh, red lighting kits or ordered, that, ordered them on Amazon. Um, but it's the same thing. You know, professional teams are doing this now, too. Uh, a few years ago, when I was a sleep consultant for LSU's football team, we did that in their locker room. We spent millions of dollars to reconfigure and remodel their locker room where each athlete had their own sleeping pod or napping area where they could go before practice or before the game and wind down. Um, and I don't think it's a coincidence that the year we did that was the year that LSU won the national championship. Um, but again, it. all of it's that so comes down to routine. I love it. I, and I, was, I was just going to say like, it's, it's, it's so funny. Like when, you know, I think about the Washington nationals, um, you know, it's, it's all of a sudden they win the, they win the, uh, the world series and, uh, and, you know, sure enough, you know, they had this whole revamp of their sleep. That's, it just mm -hmm. never through Dr. Singh. So <laughs> yeah, Dr. Singh, yeah. Dude, I love her so much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it's same yeah, thing with sleep, uh, the capitals too. So she, um, yeah, she was busy with the nationals. So she referred me to uh, be a sleep consultant for the capitals that year. And sure enough, the Washington nice. Capitals won the Stanley Cup that year too. So it's, I don't think it's a coincidence. <laughs> it's, you know? There's not, it's not a coincidence. I love it. Um, yeah, it's, it's so exciting. Um, yeah, we have some really cool examples too, just on the, the Whoop platform. Well, of course the Nationals were wearing Whoop and I know many of the Capitals wear Whoop as well. Um, and, and a lot of our collegiate teams who are totally dialed on sleep and, you know, meet are in that performing kind of range consistently on average over the course of, of their season and our keep, you know, sleep consistency is in an upper 85 to 90%. I mean, they just don't get injured and they don't get sick. And I think yeah. winning is really about availability. And that to me is the opportunity with sleep that I don't think people really understand. It's about being available for life. And I think for me, like I haven't missed a day of training in years because I haven't been sick. I haven't been injured. Yeah. Right. Yep. And, and a lot of that is just dialing on your sleep. And, and yep. I, and I understand, you know, sleep can be hard for a lot of folks, but I think, you know, if you're not sleeping well, like getting help is so important because it's just, it will, it's, it's worth the time and effort, you know, because how much time Allison is wasted when you're not kind of getting the requisite amount of, of sleep. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I'll take a, a military study we did. Well, it was a replication of a military study that was actually done in the 90s during the Gulf War um, using, again, the graveyard active watch that um, a lot of sleep <laughs> clinics used to have back in the day. Um, but we use this metric called combat effectiveness, which basically means like how well you perform on a military task. Um, so if you look at sleep within a 24 hour period, when soldiers are doing training exercises, you can't really look at nighttime sleep in those conditions, right? It's because right. in military training or deployment, you get sleep when you can. Um, but in general, soldiers who were sleeping seven to eight hours a night leading or the day before they did that military training, they performed optimally. They were at 100% combat effectiveness. The soldiers who got six hours of sleep, so what is that, 30% less sleep than normal, were at 50% mm -hmm. combat effectiveness. And then the soldiers who got four hours wow. of sleep, which is half the amount of sleep, were at 15% combat effectiveness. Uh, we actually used that data to change army doctrine about how much sleep commanders were mandated to give soldiers in the field from it. Um, but yeah, like bottom line is, you know, cutting your sleep by half the amount you need, you're going to cut your performance by 85%. Um, so it's not a linear yeah. relationship. It's exponential. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we see that, I think, you know, you and I have talked about this before, but our, the study that we, we did with, um, with McKinsey, uh, their executive leadership program. And we, one of the metrics that was really interesting is that, or one of the correlations we saw was, was the folks who uh, were not meeting their sleep need. Um, so had accumulated 45%, uh, so 45 minutes of sleep debt, um, their next day mental control was, um, was reduced by 10%. So yep. this was measured via Stroop and, and MBAC. Um, so, you know, sleep need is, is, thing. Um, I, yeah. one of the areas on, on whoop is it, it does kind of accumulate and, um, it's important to pay down that sleep need, uh, kind of, um, in, in small chunks. And, and I'd love to, to talk a little bit about, you know, this, I think good segue to talk a little bit about night to night variability. Um, and, sure. and what are the kind of safe thresholds? Because I, I think what, what happens is people don't meet their sleep need over the course of five days during the week. And then on the weekend, they try to make up for it. So they extend their sleep by five <laughs> hours. Yeah, they're sleeping until noon. Yeah. Um, and and I think that probably, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that has some deleterious effects on um, all sorts of uh, different types of functioning uh, in the human system. So, you know, what is kind of the, how should people think about if they do accumulate a lot of sleep need, which is a lot of folks on our system, how do they pay down that sleep debt in a way that doesn't actually have a, a negative effect on on performance levels? So ideally, it's the 30-minute rule. Uh, this is actually the, the rule that um, people who practice cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia uh, give to their patients. So um, for those on the line, Cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia is the most effective form of treatment for insomnia. It's not drugs. It's behavioral intervention where you work with a sleep trained expert to dissect your bedtime routine and your sleep and wake schedule. Basically, these patients have to keep sleep diaries over the course of two weeks. Mm -hmm. And then you sit down with your therapist and they go through it. Um, so 30 minutes is, is the rule because if you think about it, it the circadian system, right, it's it's impacted by shifts and behavior, particularly shifts and when you wake up, when you go to sleep, and when you're exposed to light. Um, 
and anything beyond an hour is stressful. So if you half that and do 30 minutes, um, it's less, it's minimal stress to the circadian system. Uh, so typically, for example, if you have a patient who has um, insomnia at sleep onset, then he or she will work with their therapist to night by night, extending their sleep by 30 minutes at a time. And it might not even be every night. It might be every two nights. So you go to bed 30 minutes earlier this night, and then two days later, you go to bed 30 minutes earlier from that time, the second night. So you're already at an hour. You do this gradual advance in the time at which you go to sleep or a gradual delay, depending on, you know, what kind of insomnia it is. Uh, but 30 minutes is the golden rule. Yeah. Um, I, maybe for folks who are trying to go to bed a bit earlier, how do we, we want to try to move that window for of time when melatonin is released? People need to start thinking about that the moment they wake up in the morning, right? So maybe just walk through a couple behaviors that can help advance um, sleep onset. And then if people want to delay sleep onset, what would the time, how does the timing shift there? Sure. Um, it's pretty easy. Um, if you want to advance your sleep onset, you get bright light exposure early in the morning. If you want to delay your sleep onset, you get bright light exposure after the sun has set, um, and that will delay it. Uh, this is based on what we know, uh, the like mammalian circadian clock. It's called, a, the technical term is a PRC, a photic uh, phase response curve. Um, so this is something that the early days of circadian biology that scientists basically spent two decades dissecting this photic phase response curve. And it doesn't matter if you study it yeah. in, in animal models or humans. Uh, the human work was done in like uh, constant conditions. So actually in, in a cave, to be honest with you. Right. Um, it's it's the same. Light in the morning mm -hmm. for advancing, light in the evening for delaying. Yeah. Yeah. So light, obviously the strongest um, entrainment signal. And then also obviously light is hitting the super the control center of the brain. Um, but there's other um, behaviors that we can do that um, also entrain uh, the clocks. So they'll go, you know, they kind of affect the peripheral clocks, um, food. So meal timing, so potentially shifting or like, um, you know, restricting food earlier in the day, um, as opposed to later in the day could also work exercise timing. I know there, the, the research is a little mixed here, but yep, that no, could be another lead. Yeah. Exercise timing too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh -huh. Um, and then caffeine is the other one that we want to make sure that we're not having caffeine, right? Do you have a, I know you have a lot of, you've done a lot of work in the area of caffeine <laughs> and sleep. <laughs> I have. Yeah. And actually what's interesting about the caffeine work is that caffeine can antagonize the light depending on what time it's administered. Um, my mm -hmm. colleague, she did that for her dissertation when she was working with Dr. Wright out of uh, UC Boulder. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of factors to consider, but that's why, you know, uh, there's, um, apps and also, you know, the algorithms that you guys provide can help mm -hmm. you figure out when to do what. Um, you know, I, I would sure. say, and I think you'd agree with me, the protocol for shifting when you're travel, because you travel all the time too, is uh, 
yeah. light plus melatonin plus exercise, like those three things mm-hmm. will really, really help you. I did that yeah. a few weeks ago when I came back from the Australian yeah. Open. Um, it's, yeah, yeah. I do it all the time. Essential. And we do it with our athletes too. You know, if, if we have the ability, depending on game times, um, yeah, we, we're actually, um, we're working on a manuscript right now where, yeah, we, we basically, uh, have, uh, the control group, um, they went to the West coast from the East coast and, you know, just were all over the map in terms of, uh, light exposure, meal timing, um, and an exercise timing, match timing. Um, and then, uh, the experiment group, uh, basically maintained their East coast timing of all these kind of circadian behaviors. Um, and preliminary data will yeah. not surprise you, but physiologically, um, these folks were, uh, you know, had really no change in HRV and no change in resting heart rate. Um, they were able to maintain, you know, they block light when they need to block light, they viewed light when they need to view light, um, to maintain their East coast time. Um, and they, you know, yep. not surprisingly performed very, very well, um, had very small, you know, no perturbations in their physiology, um, and, you know, had same amount of time, um, in deeper stages of sleep. So it's, uh, I think that we can pull these levers, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, we're staying in our own time zone and, um, it's just kind of a social jet lag situation, or if in fact we're trying to Uh mitigate, um, you know, or, you know, mitigate or opt out of jet lag, um, altogether, you know, if our schedule allows or, or, you know, accelerate our ability to adapt. So, yeah, I think it's, it's cool that I, I think that more, of these protocols are kind of getting out into the wild and people are able to take advantage of them so they can kind of control their levels of, of alertness and, and sleepiness. Maybe we can kind of press on light for a second, you know, just in that three to four hours, uh, you know, before bed, I think people maybe don't realize the impact light has on kind of every organ and tissue in cell in the body. Um, and, you know, when we're viewing light at a phase or at, you know, during the inactive phase of a circadian rhythm, you know, just how detrimental that is to, uh, to our health. Um, so maybe talk a little bit about, you know, light exposure after the sun goes down. Um, and, you know, blue blocking glasses gets us, you know, a little bit of the way there, but we still have to really dim our environment and, you know, limit the stimulation from light. Um, so maybe just talk about, I know there's some really interesting research, you know, looking at, you know, individuals who view light between 10 PM and 4 AM dopamine system next day doesn't work as effectively. Um, you know, obviously insulin sensitivity next day, ghrelin, leptin. I mean, there's all sorts of kind of problems. Do you want to just kind of dig into that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a whole body response. It's going to be the endocrine mm-hmm. system. It's going to be a cell, cellular response. Um, it's obviously going to be performance. And I think, you know, mm-hmm. clinically where we see that the most are in shift workers. There's a reason why the World Health Organization views shift work as a level two carcinogen now, because years and years of having that light exposure from 10 p.m. to 4 a.m. can lead to cancer metastatic cell growth. Um, yeah. It's, uh, you know, the same thing if you look at, um, I know there's some studies, I'll just use animal studies because, you know, they are still the tried and true example of the impact of flight on the mammalian circadian clock. It doesn't matter if you're a human or a rat, it's the same system. Um, But we used to do studies all the time where we would house animals in constant light, which is also extremely disruptive to them. They suffer from the same consequences as humans. They have Mm -hmm. increased cancer cell growth. 
um, increased obesity, uh, insulin resistance, uh, but they also become super volatile and aggressive. So in like very social creatures like hamsters, they become super nasty when they're housed in constant light. And then if you give them things like drugs of abuse, because that's just a lot of what I used to do is look at how alcohol and cocaine infects um, circadian rhythms, they uh, be, they like go after drug seeking and reward seeking behavior. So again, the dopamine right. system becomes hijacked. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's the same way with craving fatty food, high fat, high sugar food too, and shift workers. Yeah, it's like really sobering. You know, it's it's one of those behaviors though that I, you know, for the most part, many of us can kind of control. <laughs> but I get mad at yeah society sometimes. You know that we kind of have normalized this just you know extension of the day. You know, and and I and I and of course I'm you know, I research all things circadian. So I'm kind of in this world nonstop. So there's that bias. But yep. yeah, I just, um, yeah, I kind of, it's funny, you know, when I was working at, um, when I was a collegiate coach, I had to actually counsel my student athletes through conversations with um, their study groups because they, you know, the study groups would want to meet at 11.30 PM or 1 AM even. <laughs> my student athletes like- Yeah, that's ridiculous. It's just stupid, right? But and hopefully times yeah. are changing, you know. This, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it, there was just like this uh, pressure to be o- awake, you know, and um, and I think institutions have you know drive a lot of that and and can help you know change that culture. But it it's kind of a cultural thing that that we have, you know, and and there's just oh, it this is. constant instability, yeah. you know. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how to change? No, it totally but, is. Yeah, I mean, I think. Uh... Again, like those elite populations, uh, athletes and military, they actually, they're more apt to having a cultural change. In fact, there's a, cult, a whole shift in the paradigm as we speak. Um, I think it's, you know, it's more of a challenge for the general population. And, you know, that's that's going to be the biggest challenge. Yeah, I think so too. I, I definitely, you know, we kind of, again, you know, work in similar circles, but, you know, I feel like, yeah, professional athletes, military, I feel like there's the awareness levels have just totally skyrocketed around this. And I think the recognition that, you know, there are competitive advantages to gain, you know, if, if people can get, get a, a hold of these, uh, these behaviors and, you know, rework uh-huh. schedules and whatnot. Um, yeah. People still have to do though. Well, I do think it relies on corporations too. I actually was just reading this um, yeah. article yesterday about the history of UPS on the New Yorker and it's about, you know, UPS has made so much, all those delivery services have made so much money since the pandemic. And so a lot of UPS workers are striking now because um, the company has made so much money and yet there haven't been raises. And I didn't know this, but a UPS worker in uh, Mayo, Minnesota makes just as much as a UPS worker in New York City. So a lot of um, these UPS workers in New York City have been on protests because a lot of them have to wake up at 1 a.m. to take two trains and two subways to get to their shift at 4 a.m. And so they've actually been like picketing and, uh, you know, using their union to send letters to the corporations about like changing work hours um, or at least paying them more so that they can live closer to their delivery stops. Wow. Yeah, that is that is real. Yeah, just the cost of living. I mean, it's just not, not even close, you know. 
Uh, wow. Well, it's good that they're making yeah. these changes. I mean, it's good that people are advocating for themselves. Right. I mean, you see the same with fire, too. I work with um, fire departments in D.C. and Boston and, you know, cost of living in D.C. I used to live there. It's it's ridiculous. But, you know, I had yeah. government housing for it. Um, but there would be firefighters who would live, you know, work in northern Virginia, but have to be forced to live in West Virginia because they couldn't afford to live around the wealthy area where they were firefighters. So, yeah, you know, yeah. but that's up to the organization to change, not, you know, the actual people. Yeah, totally. Um, all right. So let's get, so are there any kind of things that are like trends that are out there related to sleep that just get under your skin that are like total myths, like not true? Um, is there anything that comes to mind? Well, I think one thing that's gotten under my skin recently is um, I learned that you oh, can get awesome. a certified sleep coaching certification by listening to a 45-minute lecture about sleep from a strength and conditioning coach. I actually, I did this like certification just to see like what it was. And um, I knew it was bogus the minute that this coach was talking about stage four non-REM sleep because, okay, there used to be in the old American Academy of Sleep Medicine, like four stages of non-REM sleep. But that rule, that uh, guidance changed like 15 years ago. And I don't think, you know, they clearly got their information from Wikipedia or some like outdated source. So like as soon as they said that, Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I'm done here. But that's really been, I think, getting under my skin is um, the amount of uh, like, like lack of vetting that social media does with sleep advice that these sleep certified experts give or even just people in you know the health and and wellness industry Mm -hmm. um i do think like for example the national academy of sports medicine is doing a good job trying to dispel Mm -hmm. um that the you know these charlatans because um they have like a coaching and wellness certification now which focuses on sleep but they had experts like us write the textbook and write the actual Mm -hmm. educational content so i do think there's you know fitness and health experts out there who are providing accurate information. But for every one of those, there's five who aren't. And a lot of them go back to melatonin, right? Like how melatonin, if you take it every night, it is going to improve your sleep or um, it replaces the endogenous release of melatonin, just, you know, bad and wrong advice. So that's what's been getting under my skin recently. Yeah. You know, I have uh, just being in the space and seeing a lot of people truly, truly struggle with sleep. Um, it's not an easy behavior uh, and have right. huge amounts of empathy. You know, how, you know, as someone who's spent their entire career, like thinking about this, what would be like, if you're talking to someone, and I'm sure you've had just a gazillion of these type of conversations, you know, with someone who is just like, I can't fall asleep. I can't stay asleep. Um, what what would you what would be your kind of first thing that you'd say to them, or like what would be your kind of series of you know thoughts that you could give them to kind of help or yeah what what would be your advice I suppose? Well, this happens to me every day because you know I do no, work no. Um, for the military and I work with people who you know pretty much been at war for the last seventeen years. This is like the first time, and they're. Yeah 
life in 17 years where they're not actively in combat. Um, So first thing is sleep routine, right? That goes back to what I said in the beginning. Like, what are you doing the two hours before bed? Um, Mm -hmm. Oftentimes I find out they do a high intensity workout in their garage. And I'm like, what are you doing doing a CrossFit workout (laughs) two hours before bed? Um, You know, TV in the bedroom, right? That that is like, you're, you're asking for sleep disruption with the TV in the bedroom. It just makes it too easy. Um, yeah. So that's the first thing. Uh, when it comes to middle of the night insomnia, um, you know, it depends. Like if they're, if they're waking up because they're really hungry, I've actually seen that a lot, right? Because I work with guys who are going through like high intense yeah. training. Um, mm-hmm. I make sure that, you know, at least before bed, they're getting in a casein whey protein that has slow release mm-hmm. and is going to keep them through the night. Uh, but mm-hmm. if they're simply just waking up because their brain wants to be up, um, again, psychology of sleep, go in the other room, uh, do not turn on lights and just, you know, do breath work and, or, mm-hmm. you know, some routine that is relaxing. So you can go back into the bedroom and sleep. Like yep. don't yep. do anything with your phone or anything. Um, right. Cause you don't or want simply just sleep the other direction on the bed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You, you don't want to associate bed with something that's painful and, you know, and, and disruptive, right? So you kind of get out of the environment, reset, and then come back. Is that the, is, is that the reason yep. behind a different environment? Yeah. 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 Um, but those would be my two big things. Yeah. So, you know, the, we, a lot of folks I talk to, I mean, a majority of folks are like, I wake up at 3am, I wake up at 2am, like, and it just might be the age bracket I'm in. It's just, you know, common. Um, what would you say? I mean, a lot of the, the conversation I have when we kind of unravel it, it seems like it's just a lot of stress accumulating throughout the day that hasn't really been proactively dealt with. Yep. That seems to just yep. rear its head. You know, I think a lot of these folks are exhausted, so they end up falling asleep, but then they wake up. And so what would be your advice throughout the day, you know, to kind of take a proactive approach, you know, because I mean, most people can incorporate I would say moments of rest throughout the day um, with breath work, or whatever. But, you know, do you have some things that you can recommend for folks who are, you know, who we, where we think it might be kind of anxiety and distress accumulation that's waking them up in the middle of the night? Yeah. I mean, you know, when it comes to, to work and, you know, what you're doing on a day-to-day basis, um, you know, I'm a firm believer in the Pomodoro technique. Um, are you familiar with that? It's, um, it's a productivity technique that the Italians um, put forth many years ago where basically you work um, in 15 to 20 minute bouts at a time. And every 15 to 20 minutes when you're doing highly engaging, stressful things, you take like a two minute break. Uh, just mm. walk around, like totally disengage. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mm. do that for three cycles. So 15 minutes, 20 minutes on, two minutes off, three cycles, and then you take a full on 45 minute break. Um, you know, I think those uh, those little things like just disengaging, going out into the sunlight or, you know, we mm. live in uh, New England. So uh, just <laughs> going into a, a different area of uh, the house or the, uh, the workplace and uh, talking to colleagues, just walking around, mm-hmm. getting removed from your work. Um, Just doing that a simple 15 minutes a day can make all the difference in the world. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned the pre-bed, just 
a book, you know, that's not super stimulating can also kind of help with sleep onset and, and journaling. Yeah. Book, you know, do you know journaling. Yeah, helpful, I right? mean, even a, a lighthearted podcast, I'm sure this would. Yeah. As long as you're keeping the light on your phone completely. Right. With no brightness. Really like I do all the time. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I know. I always like I, if I have dark to look all at, the like, time. I tilt Nobody it. can see my phone. I know. I know. I have one of those like films on it too. Like, I, yeah, it's like, um, yeah. Well, that's that's really helpful. I wanted to to touch on naps. Um, and you know, it, it was crazy. Ninety four percent of the folks on the platform. If I go back to it, ninety six point eight of our members took a nap this year. Um, and the average nap. nap yeah, I That's know. That's awesome. That was my boy. Dang. I know. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, really, really fortunate. I, you know, feel very alert during the day. I don't, I don't need a nap. Um, you know, generally keep my sleep, sleep down low, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought this was like insane, but the, the nap is, it averages, um, an hour and 41 minutes. So just talk a little bit oh, about, wow. I know I was blown away. So talk a little bit, maybe these are happening on the weekends. There's a lot of questions I, I want to ask these data, but that is what all I have. Um, what would you, so what is the architecture of like just the perfect nap um, just to make sure, sure people are, you know, kind of deploying these in a way that's not hurting kind of their nocturnal sleep cycle. And yeah. What, how, yeah. how would you lean into that? So it's 20 to 30 minutes under like, optimal sleep conditions so if you're somebody who's normally let's say getting 80 percent of your sleep need or 70 percent of your sleep need so enough to get by like your metric yeah. a night a yeah. 20 to 30 minute nap can help offset that sleep debt the only people who should be napping longer than an hour are shift workers and particularly mm -hmm. people like firefighters and first responders who do 24 hour or 48 hour continuous shifts um, we right. recommend for them, you know, they go home after their shift, sleep for two, three hours because that's all their body's going to allow. And then in the afternoon, yeah. they take an hour and a half nap. Um, wow. Anyone who's able to nap for longer than an hour a day, that to me is a key indicator of sleep debt. Um, totally. And so I guess when you talk about the architecture of a nap from a um, sleep perspective, uh, most of that sleep is going to be like lighter stages of non-REM. Mm -hmm. Um, but you will hit some REM sleep because during that time in the afternoon, the circadian clock dips our core body temperature, uh, which mm -hmm. is going to favor REM sleep. Uh, so it's mostly night, night or light non-REM sleep, but a little bit of REM mm -hmm. too. Yeah. And, and you mentioned, so I think folks should know too, cortisol, it doesn't have a circadian rhythm, but it kind of oscillates like a circadian rhythm and your kind of low point yep. of cortisol is obviously it's peaking kind of throughout the morning and then I think like 1 p.m., 2 p.m., it's going to dip. So yeah, that would be like a now. perfect yep. moment to kind of take that siesta time. That's a perfect moment to kind of yep. uh, take a little nap. Um, yeah. So, but just making sure that it, it isn't longer than, you know, probably 30 minutes. Um, I think yep. pairing it to, you know, one of the, the recommendations we make, um, Allison, you're a science advisor to, to Whoop and have been for many years, and are so grateful for all the contributions. Oh, I'm you grateful make to, to be a part of it. And, and us. 
Yeah. Um, another one of our advisors, you know, he kind of coined the, the term non-sleep deep rest. Um, do you have some thoughts on, yep. you know, yoga nidra, kind of these mind body scripts? Is that something you prescribe oh, yeah. to, to folks that you're working with? Yeah. Yeah. I've done a little bit of a like research deep dive once as for some presentation at Walter Reed on um, sleep and meditation. So like expert people, expert meditators can voluntarily and activate like slow wave sleep while they're meditating. Mm -hmm. uh, most of yeah. us cannot do that. Um, but <laughs> yoga nidra is a wonderful practice. I actually, a few years ago, um, there was a special yoga nidra um, retreat with the like disciples of the Dalai Lama at Esalen in um, Monterey. So my uh, college roommate and I went and we learned how to do yoga nidra for like five, six days, multiple hours a day. Um, and I remember after that week, like the next week I slept really well, but I also felt like I could have gone a whole week without sleeping because I just, I credited so, <laughs> so much sleep during that, uh, those five or six days, but no yoga nidra is a legitimate practice. And as the science yeah. shows, there's only a few studies. Um, mm -hmm. The EEG, the brain waves as someone who's in that state looks no different from somebody who's sleeping. Yeah. yeah. I think it's so powerful. I, Once I know, they get the um, hang of it. Yeah. I work, um, I kind of serve as a high performance consultant for my, my son's ice hockey team. So <laughs> And, oh uh, yeah, you were telling me that. I love your idea about the uh, the shower, the red light in the shower when he comes home. From, yep, yep. Uh, so I have them like yeah. totally optimized. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's funny. It? Um, I, I guarantee no one, none of them listen to this, so I'm, I'm I think I'm safe. Um, but it's funny. Like I sent them a yoga nidra script that I actually did for my student athletes when I was at Princeton, um, toward kind of oh, the back cool. of my career. And yeah, yeah. And so they. Those poor boys, yeah, they have to listen to to my mind body, my yoga nidra script, but um, <laughs> but they don't know it's me. So, but, but it's really funny. But that they, um, but it's funny. I, the the boys and you know, and a lot of the professional athletes that I have kind of talked to and worked with in the past um, have said that it's such a great kind of um, stepping stone to napping, you know, because yep. it's just it kind of is like a, a beautiful entry point that is. It's simple. It you know doesn't. It's low stress because you're just listening to a script and you're kind of following along. You're not like stressed about oh my god, am I going to be able to fall asleep? And it and uh -huh. I think just like that um, skill of being able to wind your body down and kind of just relax into that state is um, is just an awesome gateway to kind of that next step of. I was thinking it's like a gateway drug when I think say gateway. I yeah. don't mean to say that, but it's kind of a nice gateway into, into, you know, napping. Um, yeah. but, uh, no, it kind of yeah. is a gateway drug into napping. Like yeah. it, I think that's what it is. It's got a napping. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. So one of the other, um, interesting uh, things, uh, in terms of the data on our platform. So 3% of our we saw a, a rise in shared bed behavior, um, 2022 compared to 2021 and 3%. Um, and it seems that mm -hmm. our members sleep better when they're um, sharing a bed with a partner. What's the, what's your thoughts on this and kind of what's, what are, what does the research say there? I mean, that just might be oxytocin, right? Like oxytocin mm -hmm. is it's the, like uh, the, the <laughs> hormone of uh, trust, love and feeling good. Like, I, I think yeah. that's probably what it, what it is. Uh, I mean, yeah. you're, you're familiar with those studies and, uh, 
dolphins and birds, how they have uni, uh, uni-hemispheric sleep, where one half of their mm-hmm. brain is awake and the other half is asleep. Yep. And the side that's awake is facing danger on the outside. So um, apparently humans have it too. Like if you sleep wow. uh, in a in an unsafe environment, in uh, hotel, there's been like a, a study came out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hotel, uh-huh. current biology study. Yeah, yeah, yeah I saw that. Yeah, I know. So it's, I it's think that's what it is. It's like love, trust, yeah. and the feel-good yeah. effects of oxytocin. Mm-hmm. What about pets? I know Winston, my sweet, sweet dog, falls asleep with me every night, and then he yeah leaves um, at some point. But um, but yeah, I I just love having him <laughs> having him right there when I fall. Yeah, asleep. I mean, I think it's the same thing with pets too. I mean, I, yeah, to me, they they're same effect as humans. Just like yeah, you know, they're family, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, cool. So one of the last things that we wanted to pick your brain on is the emergence of sleep tourism. I, I love this. I, you know, uh, booking a hotel. Interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. So these luxury resorts have basically, you know, have the rooms that are outfitted in these smart mattresses, essential oils, yep. masks, and like all these other amenities that, you know, promote good sleep and love this. Like yeah. I want to only go to hotels like that. I was recently um, yeah. in a hotel this past weekend and there was like a wedding going on. So the patio was just like so loud. And I, I was yeah. like, how is this even happening? And it was like 10 o'clock, but you know, I was like trying, yeah. you know, I was in bed at 8 30 trying to sleep. I'm like, oh my God, this is driving yeah. me crazy. And it um yeah. and then I ended up getting my removed to like the other side of the hotel. But um good. But yeah sleep tourism no i uh i didn't know there's a term now for it but um <laughs> i will tell you so when we did that uh study with the elite unit and like came up with those sleep kits i actually had the idea for the like that kit from the american um, platinum lounge so the amex lounge i don't know there was one time i went into the lounge in charlotte and uh, actually, I still have the lavender spray from it. I don't know why it's still here, but they like gave you like this nice. kit with like lavender spray and an eye mask and like earplugs. And I was like, oh my yeah. God, this is a great idea. So, no, uh, <laughs> yeah, I have seen those. Um, I think the Weston was like one of the first to adopt the sleep friendly room. Um, but no, that's mm. awesome. It has a right. now. I'm going to use that sleep tourism. Yeah, sleep tourism. I know. I, uh, yeah. Yeah. I- love it so much. <laughs> yeah. I'm always like, I, I definitely try to always book my room that I'm like, Hey, I want to, you know, not by the elevator, not by the stairway. Like the other thing that drives me yeah. absolutely bananas are the doors. You know, people, uh, you know, have kids. So, you know, we'll go to tournaments, like ice yeah. tournaments and, you know, softball tournaments and basketball tournaments. And, you know, you've got the kids who are just like, you know, they put the little, um, locky lock thing, so the door like yeah. slams on it. But just the doors in general are so darn loud. Yeah. I was like, oh, uh-huh. yeah, something, they need to fix that too. And it's part of the sleep tourism, um, yeah, the movement. <laughs> um, well, cool. I will say um, maybe you need to find somebody who's a government employee to book your hotels. Because uh, if you book hotels at the military rate, a lot of times you get the corner room away from the hotel because for us, that's actually like an operational security requirement is like, so anytime I travel with the government and I stay in a commercial hotel, I have to 
like automatically the government has r rooms reserved on the outside um, perimeter of the hotel that's closest to the stairwell because that's the easiest means of escape. That's serious. No <laughs> So way. I always I sleep in the corner, like the corner of a hotel anytime I travel. <laughs> Dang. I need to like enlist today <laughs> so I get preferential. <laughs> that's what's going to get you. you know? Yeah. Um, cool. So, well, I feel like we've covered so much. Um, okay. If there are three tips you could offer anyone to simply get a better night's sleep, regardless of their situation, what would you say is your like top uh -huh. three go-to? Top three, um, Put away your work at least 60 to 90 minutes before bedtime or whatever stresses you out in the day. Put that, put it away, you know, have the woosah, uh, <laughs> zen moment and just, you know, um, to dim the lights, you know, uh, if you don't have dimmers, use candles. That's what I have to use here at my place in North Carolina. And number three is um, dark, cool, and quiet. So dark room, cool and quiet unless you live in a busy area then noise machine well allison this has been such a fun conversation uh just appreciate you so much uh where can people find you to follow to see your you work uh you've written i know it's really good to see you and you've written some sensational books too that um i really want to make sure people you know meathead unraveling the athletic brain and obviously you've been an author on so many different um you know, publications so people can look you up in Research Gator, Google Scholar. Um, but is is what's the, your favorite platform for people to follow you? Uh, Instagram's fine. Uh, I, I'm pretty good about checking my okay. uh, messages on that. Uh, I would not say LinkedIn. I try to avoid LinkedIn. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, just because, you know, like my work days are so busy that I try to have like a good work-life balance. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, mm -hmm. um, yeah. and Instagram is yeah, so fun. You know, it has like this lightheartedness to it. Yeah, it's fun. Exactly. So if it, even yeah. if it's work, it doesn't feel like it. It's yeah. So it's uh, D O C J O C K Z Z Z. So amazing. Thank you to Dr. Allison Brager for coming on the Whoop Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode of the Whoop Podcast, please leave a rating or review. Subscribe to the Whoop Podcast. You can check us out on social at whoop at will ahmed if you have a question you want to see answered on the podcast email us podcast at whoop.com call us 508-443-4952 new members can use the code will get a 60 dollars credit on whoop accessories when you sign up and with that have a great week folks we'll be back next week stay healthy and stay in the green